0: Welcome to 5th Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode, I sit down with Dr. Peter Lineman, a leading economist and CEO and founder of Lineman Associates, a premier consulting and research firm specializing in commercial real estate investment strategy. Dr. Lineman shares how the pandemic will impact all sectors of real estate, from office and retail to hospitality, residential and industrial. We also cover his predictions around market and industry recovery, as well as his thoughts on the government's economic and social imperative to protect the businesses at stake. Enjoy the episode. Peter, thank you so much for joining.
1: My pleasure, thank you for having me. For those that do know me, you've never seen my hair this long. And uh, first sector to recover without a doubt when we open up is hair salons.
0: (laughs) Uh, And I think I'm facing the same issue. Um, well, Peter, would you mind just quickly giving your background just for context and then, um, I have some questions I wanted to ask.
1: Sure. I, uh, an economist by training was on Wharton's faculty for about 35 years, um, ultimately created and headed the real estate program there, uh, retired from teaching at Wharton about 10 years ago, but continue to do my advisory work. And mostly for real estate and institutional private equity REITs, high wealth, um, but also serve on a lot of corporate boards over the years. I've been on about 20 public boards over the years on four currently and uh, try to, and we also have our own boutique investment. We're doing some opportunity zone investing um, and some boutique investing. So, a mixed bag, but staying busy, hopefully.
0: Yeah, I imagine, especially now. Um, well, I think, you know, our, our investors kind of widely regard you as the, you know, the academic, the philosopher on what's going to happen in the real estate industry. So I think everyone would be really eager to get your high-level views. And so my thought was, you know, I'd love to hear your perspectives if we were to look at how, not just the COVID crisis itself but the associated economic fallout you think will impact various sectors if you were to look, say, 24 months out. Um, And so maybe I'll I'll start with a sector um, that's a big one, office. Like, what do you think the office industry looks like 24 months out?
1: Um, It's going to go through a lot of turbulence to get there. But I think by about 24 months out, it will not look so different Than maybe 2017. So not quite as strong as 2019 and 20, but it'd be recognizable as an office sector. Those that who are going to be put out of business by this are going to be put out of business. The debt's going to be dealt with one way or another. Business is going to continue to be conducted. Yes, we've a lot conducted business remotely, but It's not generally as efficient. Sometimes it is. For this, it's probably as efficient. But generally, it's not. And I'm involved, for example, in a negotiation of 18 banks or some number like that, and all the law firms representing them. And so there's no way it's as efficient doing it online. It just isn't. Um, As opposed to getting them in a room and let's get this thing done. So I think in about 24 months, it'll be recognizable, but a little weaker than when we started. But the next 12 months is going to be a rough journey because if people don't pay rent, if people don't have income because a third or more of the economy is shut down, how do they pay rent? If they don't pay rent, how do you pay your loan? And it's just that's going to be what the next year is about in the business. Is, is answering who's going to pay rent, and if they don't pay rent, how do we solve the debt? That's the next year to 18 months. But by 24 months, it's okay. It's not going to disappear. The one sector that's going to look very different, and your area is one of the prime areas for it, is the cool butcher block work areas. You know, the butcher block table work areas. And I'm an old guy, I'm 69, I'm a traditionalist, much more so. And I'm not even talking about the wee works of the world. I'm talking about real tenants, real companies who laid out their offices, no corner, no offices, nothing's enclosed, hot seats, butcher blocks, etc. And I can't tell you the number of people who have shown me with great pride over the last year, year and a half, that new space they built for themselves that's dead. No pun intended. Hot seating? and, 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 you, and Peter, you,
0: you think that's the case largely on account of the, the public health considerations?
1: On the public health consideration alone, you're an employer, I'm an employer. Fortunately, my office space is very traditional. Fortunately, at this moment, because distancing is not a problem. Everybody has their own work area. All I have to do is worry about the copier, right? The shared kitchen, keeping clean, et cetera, mask and so forth. But hot seating, where you don't know who was there before you, you're sitting 14 inches from the person, somebody's right across the table from you. I just think that is for public health reasons, not just public health imposed by government, imposed by smart guys like you and me and so forth saying, I can't expose my employees. One of the things I think is important to remind, and I'm doing it to every audience I speak of, speak to, you care more about your family and loved ones than the government does. You care more about your employees than the government does. And you care more about your customers than the government does. And there's this notion that's floating around that government is malevolent, and wonderful and and knows what they're doing and we in the private don't know anything we're evil and we're against our customers and employee. I'm willing to bet you care more about your loved ones than the government. I'm willing to bet you care more about your employees than the government. I'm willing to bet you care more about your customers than the government. You're going to make the adjustments in the office space like I'm talking about. You're not just going to take their temperature and you're not going to you're gonna make it a safer work environment. That's gonna be more square footage, just more square footage. So even though we might do a few more work at home, gonna be more footage. I'll give you the one area that I think will unambiguously change out of this as it affects office, but it's small, which is a lot of the old time guys who were hesitant to let people work a day a week at home are going to say, okay, a day a week's no problem. And I think that flexibility, I don't think they're going to say five days a week. I think they're going to say a day a week. And you'll get a lot more life flexibility. It'll be a, a better company as a result of that. Now, in your world, people are already doing that. I already do that at my small company. But you know what I mean by the, the old school guys?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and how do you think about, I'll, I'll give another one that's obviously has been affected by huge technology trends prior to this crisis, but hospitality, right? And if you were to kind of look at hospitality as kind of confronting the OTAs and the rising power of the OTAs um, over the last decade, really, and then more recently, the short-term rental economy and Airbnb, how do you think they look 24 months out? How do you think the hotel companies look 24 months out?
1: I think, again, everything I said about the short-term is going to be true in four times fold in hotels right. because of the operating leverage. the The next year is sorting out if nobody comes and so forth and so on, right? So I won't. I think it's going to take about three years to get it back to where we recognize the hotel business. Not twenty four months, but three years. And if I had to pick an analogy, um, two thousand three. I remember after 9-11, people said, never going to travel again. Never going to travel again. Never want to be away from your loved ones. Never want to be. Never want to be. And you're just old enough to remember that as a serious business discussion. Not going to send people to conferences anymore. Not going to. Not going to. Well, yeah, technology is better than it was then. But what we found is Wanderlust has been with us since... You know, the dawn of man and the interest in doing things and seeing places and being places and face to face. So, I think it's going to take a little time for the hospitality to come back, airlines as well, even if the government allows them because people care more about their employees and their customers. But I think within about three years, it will look like the hospitality industry. We knew Vegas will be doing well. There will be conventions. There will be, I don't know if we'll be wearing masks. I don't know if they'll be spritzing disinfectant. I don't know if we'll have a vaccine. But we'll find ways to adapt. But it's a very rocky next year. And then I think it takes two years for it to fully find its footing. But I think it's a sector that's going to shock people by when it comes back, it's going to come back strong. I think the last part of it to come back is the Airbnb type. And the reason is I trust Hilton much more than I trust a random party to keep sanitation standards. And I'm just taking Hilton as a well-operated, terrific company. So I think the Airbnb, which we all used in variations of things, Will be the last to recover
0: yeah in this. yeah no, I think that's exactly right, and I think that the the brand equity that you know companies like Hilton and Marriott have built up customers are more so than ever going to rely on that for you know their own safety and the safety of their employees and the safety of their families
1: they're going and i 'm guessing this i haven 't spoken to the they're not only going to have that brand equity. Remember the way McDonald's succeeded and Howard Johnson and so forth in the old days was you could know that you'd get a clean bathroom. It was that simple. When you were moving around, that brand said I could get a clean bathroom. This goes back when I'm a little kid. The same thing's going to happen, but I can well imagine Hilton and Marriott saying, come back, and they'll have commercials showing how they disinfect everything, right, every day. And it will play the brand, this, this we, we protect you kind of attitude.
0: I'll pick now a really complicated sector, um, retail.
1: So I think retail is going to surprise people in, uh, with a couple of wild cards. Um, one, retail isn't going away. But this actually could be a very good thing for strong retail. Again, the next year and a half is going to be a mess, trying to sort it all out. So I'm back to where you're saying. I think your question is right on. One of the problems in retail has been the weak shopping centers did not go out of business. And the reason the weak shopping centers did not go out of business is there were a few stores left that had the legal right to be there. And you made a little money, but it did drain some sales. Not a lot, but it did drain sales from stronger centers. I think what'll happen is the weaker centers, you're going to see those stores wiped out. The center not only becomes weak, it becomes empty. When it becomes empty, you have no longer tenants that say you can't tear it down. You got to buy me out if you want to tear it down. So I think what will happen is it speeds up the emptying of really centers that have no reason to exist anymore. It stops the drain of sales from those and will send that sales into stronger centers. Okay. So that's a little complicated that way. The other thing is everybody says online, 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 online. And um, you can't make money online selling most products. You can make money on some. You can't make money. And I was just talking to somebody today. Take a typical Zara's $12 blouse. The gross margin is four or five bucks. How do you make money if your gross margin is four or five bucks? you got to handle putting together seven of those to be shipped overnight. And so you have overnight shipping and handling. And by the way, they're going to ship back five of the seven blouses. And you're going to handle them when they get back. This has been the real problem for low margin. And remember, retail is largely about low margin and mass volume. And so the low volume, excuse me, low margin, big volume does not make money. The extreme case is groceries. A dollar fifty bottle of mustard has a gross margin of 20 cents. How am I going to handle and ship that? Right? And that's been one of the big problems. It's why it's why groceries haven't taken off online because you can't make money at it. And in an odd way, yes, in the near term, again, in this year, it's going to be lots of online shopping. I think one of the funny things that's going to happen is a lot of online retail is going to disappear. It's going to disappear because, and I'll take Amazon as an example. Amazon subsidizes some of their retail by cloud, and they subsidize some of it by Amazon Prime membership fee. All right, that's what the membership fee was about, was subsidizing what they lose. And Macy's. Macy's is trying to sell online, but they lose money at it. But they're subsidizing with brick sales. When people start losing lots of money in their core businesses, it's hard to, suffer, to cover those losses. And I think the appetite to carry losses in online sales Is going to go down. And you see it, take the extreme, SoftBank. Mm -hmm. I mean, in your world, right? SoftBank said, who was the most willing to fund losses in the business, right? SoftBank says, we're losing too much money. We aren't going to keep funding losses. We just can't do it. And I think this appetite for not funding as much losses will actually undercut a lot of the marginal online. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's convenient. Yes, it's fun. It just doesn't make money. But other than that, so online is in a strange world where it's going to do quite well. But as I think you you would know they don't cover variable costs. Forget covering overhead. They're not covering variable cost. You can find exceptions with low return items, big margin items, um and items that are very easily shipped and people don't want it overnight. They can cover that. that. That's good business. Or if they can ship it online, that's a different game. But I think actually it's going to be a bit of a back kick against a lot of the marginal online because nobody's going to have the money. What was Warren Buffett's when, when the tide goes out is when you see who hadn't got a bathing suit. With Tides going out. One of the things we're going to find is a lot of online sellers do not have a bathing suit.
0: And do you think that the, you know, looking at the CARES Act, um, I think one of the things that was surprising for at least for me to see was that there wasn't an enormous amount of protection put in place specifically for retailers. Um, and obviously, retail, retailers, rival. I- the longevity of retailers is is the lifeblood of the retail real estate industry. And the PPP program works for kind of the smaller retailers. But do you see the government having almost a, a social imperative to step in, given that I think it's about one in four or one in five jobs in America is a retail job?
1: Yeah, I have a, I have a view that the government has a social imperative. I'm not a believer in, I'm an old Milton Friedman student. Forget whether it's the right view or the wrong view. I have not seen many government spending programs that stimulate the economy. I mean, France and Japan have been announcing stimulus programs my entire life and their economies do nothing, right? And so I'm not a big fan of stimulus programs and I'm not a fan of bailout programs. I am a fan Of if you take my business from me, if you take my livelihood from me, I have... So if the government comes and takes my land, and they say they're going to build a school there, they have that right. But the Fifth Amendment says you have to compensate. me. What I think happened here is, forget whether it was right or wrong, it was legitimate that the government, not just ours, the government said, for the social good, we're shutting down your business and your business and your business. They told malls they couldn't even open. They told lots of non-essentials you couldn't even open. That took my livelihood. That took my business. And what I view PPP and other programs are a rough, and I do stress rough, Approach at justice, in compensating people for putting them out of business, at least temporarily. and the Constitution, and by the way, any sense of justice forget the Constitution says they should That's, to me, is the social imperative. And this is probably better than five years of litigation. On the constitutional issue of did you take my business and how much do you owe me? There'll probably be such lawsuits eventually. I know several of them are being prepared. That's how I view it. And I think you're right. They've not stepped up to the retailers the same way they've stepped up to the airlines or the same way they've stepped up to, you know, some of the other industries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, um, so maybe looking at now transitioning to residential, um, home building, um, what do you think happens to the U S home building industry? It
1: dies in the next, uh, uh, it'll take about two years to get back to anything recognizable. Um, I don't know any, but I know people who have bought cars online. I know people who have bought Pencils online. I know people have bought clothes online. I know people have bought food. I do not know a person who buys a home that costs $300,000, $500,000 in California, a million for a run-of-the-mill home. I don't know anybody that does that online. You might search, right? You look, you gather information. I'm not trying to say that isn't helpful. You got to be able to visit it you got to be able to go and you got to be able to walk through the house and you got to be able to feel comfortable. you got to be able to know you can move in. I live in a condo. Our building does not allow move-ins or move-outs. Condo, not a rental building. Condo. And they're not allowing move-ins or move-out. How many condos are going to get sold in that world? So I think you just see them plummet. I think you could get down to where single family housing starts by the end of the year could be at an annual run rate, right? You have to annualize the run rate. I think you could be down to 200,000 homes. We were at about 900,000, which was still above the long-term average. Uh, By the way, think about it. In addition to what I'm saying about not being able to visit, you need a down payment to buy a home. You need a down payment. Um if a third of the po- there are probably 30 million people unemployed right now. There were five million at the end of the first week of March. Probably 30 million, and a week from now it's going to be 35 million. Okay, the data's not out yet, but that's probably the reality of it. If there are 30 million people unemployed, that's 25 million fam people who don't feel very confident. They don't have probably the money for a down payment. To the extent they had stocks and other assets, they're down and you need a down payment to buy a home. So the combination of asset values down, jobs being lost, people on unemployment do not buy homes. I mean, it just makes no sense. They don't buy homes while you're on unemployment. And you could have as many as 30, 40 million people on unemployment. We only have, we had 162 million people in the labor force at the end of the first week in March. And if you have 40 million unemployed, which is not hard at all to envision, who's buying a home? Just where's the income? And there'll be some. I'm not saying there won't be some, but you're going to be very spotty for the next Couple of years, and then it'll start the slow slug forward because you got to rebuild down payment, got to rebuild confidence, you got to rebuild incomes.
0: And so then, looking at multifamily, right, which similarly tracks um, consumer income, um, but also unemployment levels. What do you think we see in terms of rent? I mean, we've been in a period of rent growth in the multifamily sector for a while. Um, What does that look like two years out? I, I think I can imagine what happens in the intervening two years, but two years out, are yeah. We... in
1: the short term, I'll tell you the biggest problem that I've not seen anybody else speak about short term for multifamily. That is lots of job losses mean lots of doubling up, right? No, no doubt. And it takes a little time. When I say doubling up, you stay home, right? You don't, the entire graduating class of 2020, whether it's high school graduating College graduating, um, graduate school graduating, or military coming back. Where are they going to find jobs in May, June, July, and August? And okay, Amazon has a few. A few of your tech firms are hiring. I'm not saying no one, but all those firms were hiring anyway, right? It's not like. So you have this whole class of 2020 that normally would have gotten jobs and rented. And so that whole class of 2020 is basically not going to get a job and not going to rent. And that means anybody that's lost is going to be hard to replace for the next couple of years. And so it's going to be soft. Now, the good news is the supply of new rental units is going to stop, going to go down to probably 50,000 a year on a run rate within a matter of months, uh, which means we'll be destroying more units by floods and fires and so forth than we're building. So it will settle up, but in the near term it will be soft. It will then have this hollowness because of the unemployment effects. And then as jobs start coming back, it will roar back because you'll have shut down supply. You'll have adjusted to a a new norm. And as people get jobs, they're not going to rush out to buy homes. They're going to rush to get out of their parents' home and rent. And they're not going to have the down payment yet because of the wealth phenomenon. So I think it's a bouncy year or two.
0: I guess last, last sector, um, which is the one where you can actually see tailwinds from growth in e-commerce and Amazon is industrial. Um, How do you see industrial changing over the next couple of years?
1: Industrial's got uh, three parts uh, that are, I think, a little complicated. Um, One is to the extent it's import driven and export driven, it's going to be a down. And that's because um, our incomes are down, so we're not going to be buying as much. So, to the extent you were servicing imported items, that warehouse need is going to go down around uh, the major uh, ports, if you will. But it also air, things that are coming in by air as well. And exports the same way. They're not going to allow our stuff in, and their incomes are going to be down. So the import-export part, if you will, is going to take a hit. There's just not going to be as much throughput. Okay? So think of ports as the simplest version of that. If you are a viable online seller, um, you're going to go up. And those use much more square footage than typical uh, warehouse. And so to the extent there is a growth in internet uh, sales and to the extent sales recover, those who have tenants that are viable, online sellers. But it goes back, if I have one of those, I may have online seller as my tenant, but if they were bleeding money and their backers say, we can't feed the bleed, we're going to invest in cash flow opportunities rather, um, you get, a, get a, a surprise. And then I think traditional boxes, just for lack of a better Way of saying it. Um, if you're servicing the grocery business, I don't think there'll be much change. I think the the servicing the grocery drugstore, not a lot of change over that period you're describing. If you're servicing small businesses, it's going to be a rough ride because a lot of them went out of business. Just a lot of them are going to go out of business. Somebody is eventually going to replace them. It's not like no one is going to replace them. But to replace, I use the example of the little Mexican restaurant we go to lunch to a lot. He's going to go out of business because he's of an age and he just doesn't want to come back and fight it anymore. And, you know, he was staying in it while the economy is good. So here's this little Mexican restaurant that did a box office business near the hospital and near some office space. And he's going to go out of business somebody was warehousing stuff, quote, for him. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take a couple of years for a new him to reappear. Just reappear. And during that, you're going to have this odd period of, even though the retail wants to go forward, the boxes want to go forward, you may not have people operating businesses yet. Now, entrepreneurs will happen. I don't worry about that. But in that interim period, it can be a bit bumpy. And if you're doing the large guys, um, you got to wonder, will the large retailers, the traditional large retailers, how many of them survive? And that goes back to our earlier discussion of they haven't been helped much, but they've been hurt a lot. They're on thin margins to start with and uh, their business is hard enough without it, you could get a few of those just disappear, and that's a lot of boxes that were being stored.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much, Peter. I know we, uh, this, this is, we're close to your, your end point right now. Um, so I really appreciate all your, all your thoughts. Um, I think this is something you know we've been in dialogue with a lot of our strategic LPs on, and I think actually a lot of your sentiments are shared.
1: Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah. And I hope we both get a haircut soon.
0: Yeah, I hope so, too. At least we know we know what's happening in one sector of the economy, right? Lots That's of pent up demand. That's good. <laughs> Thank
1: you.
0: Thank you, Peter. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.